Hello and welcome back to the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings. It would be great to hear your thoughts and feedback on the show. And you can do that on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. It would be great to see you there. However, to our episode today, and I'm so proud to welcome one of the hailed CMOs of our day in the form of Maria Pergolino, CMO at Anaplan, the company that allows you to accelerate decision-making with effective planning. To date, Anaplan have raised over $299 million in funding from the likes of Meritech, Salesforce Ventures, Shasta, DF. J Growth and more incredible names. As for Maria, prior to Anaplan, Maria was Senior Vice President of Global Marketing and Sales Development at Aptus, where she directed go-to-market strategy, sales development, customer advocacy, demand generation, strategic events, and communications initiatives. And she also held leadership positions at Marketo, Shunra Software, which was acquired by Hewlett-Packard and Chubb Limited. It's also important to note, though, that Maria is renowned for building world-class teams that drive growth, product differentiation, and category development. And I'd also have to say a huge thank you to who else but the wonderful Mr. Jason Lemkin for the intro to Maria today. I really do so appreciate that. However, before we welcome Maria to the hot seat, fundamentally as a founder or operator, your most important job is people operations. It could be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent and building a high performing culture. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies and it helps the likes of Asana, Reddit and Cruise to build a strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, even set up goal tracking and run employee engagement surveys. And that's important because Lattice is the only solution that combines both performance management and employee engagement. So operators can really make sure top performers are happy. And Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E.com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. And if Lattice is there to optimize the team. My word, Mixmax is there to optimize how you work. Mixmax is the startup that really enables you to be a sales pro with powerful analytics, automation, and enhancements for your outbound communications. So that's the formal description. But why do I love it? Well, you know exactly who opened your email and when. You can schedule meetings in one email with a simple calendar integration. That's a really awesome feature for me. And finally, forget copy and paste. Mixmax's email templates means you can create the perfect email with one click. So check out why I'm such a power user and head to mixmax.com for more. I have to say it really is insanely good. Finally, if Mixmax helps you really optimize email communications, Infusionsoft is there to help you create order with your customers and business. Infusionsoft allows you to put all your customer info in one place. And so it's easier to see the latest status on tasks, sales opportunities, and even email results. Plus, you can even set up a workflow that automatically sends customizable emails to help move a potential customer forward. That, and for many more reasons, is why over 30,000 of small businesses love and trust Infusionsoft and you can sign up today for a 14 day free trial and check this out you don't even need a credit card and that's on Infusionsoft.com that really is a must but now without further ado I'm thrilled to hand over to Maria Pergolino CMO at Anaplan 3 you have now arrived at your destination well, Maria, it is absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. A big hand to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Maria. So happy to be here. Thank you. I would love to kick off today with a little bit about you. And so tell me, how did you come to make your way into the wonderful world of SaaS and really come to be one of the most well-known and public CMOs of our day now as CMO with Anaplan? 
That's a big question, and I appreciate it and very kind. I think that the way that I arrived to where I am today is just a really big focus on my discipline. I am a passionate marketer. I then have moved through some great organizations that's come from, I think, my discipline in marketing and really understanding how to size a market, how to understand where opportunity is. I've fallen in love with B2B marketing, where you're marketing to other organizations, often trying to solve big problems that are going to have a big impact on business, society, all of the the things that we care about. And so I love what I do and I just keep taking challenge after challenge. I love it. No, I love that kind of go-getter approach, but I do want to kick off today with one of my favorite conversations, actually, and one of my kind of nerdy passion projects, which is decision-making. If marketers are accused of anything, it's being maybe just or slightly intuition-based in their decision-making. So Maria, starting on this, can I ask, is there anything fundamentally wrong with instinct-driven decision-making in kind of B2B marketing? I think this is such a good question, and I think one that is hard to tackle even if we were to take a day. Our instincts are good. That's why we think about instincts as a positive thing, and often they are in a great direction. And so I don't want to, when somebody has a gut feeling, it's often important and something that should be explored. And we often use that to create a strategy. And strategy is the most exciting part of marketing. To me, marketing is is the front of the ship. It is the part that the outside of the company sees, and it is what provides direction for the entire organization. It's definitely the voice. And so what you see from great marketing organizations is great strategy. What then I think gets people into trouble is then using that gut to say, this is then how we're going to move forward. This is how we're going to execute. And the problem with that is, is the thing that really connects strategy with execution as a plan. And Without that plan, you can't come up with the metrics that you're going to measure success with. You can't come up with targets or forecasts of what you're going to achieve. You know, you end up just doing a bunch of things. So you may have a great strategy. There may be some great intuitive points, but how do you know if it's working? And so I think that in order to have great decision-making, you have to have a great plan. And so not to jump the gun a little, but it's what brought me to my new organization. I have been passionate about that plan. I did not know that there was a company out here trying to solve that. To me, Anaplan was what was going to really make it that I could master my discipline because it was going to allow me to connect that strategy to those tactics. So if we agree then that there's kind of a role for intuition-based decision-making, if we kind of also agree that there's a role for, as you kind of mentioned, that kind of metric-driven approaches too, is there a way that marketers can make better decisions that they can actually confidently back up with substantive proof? Yeah, and so one, I think that when you come up with that plan, there's not one right way. That's the exciting part about marketing. So you can use some of that intuition. You just need to make sure that the things that you're going to move forward with get you to the net of your strategy, right? And so you, know, you want to come up with, hey, we're going to go conquer this market and we're going to become the leader and we're going to whatever it is that your organization is trying to do. You come up with a set of those tactics, but you know, really use a discipline to understand if you do those things, are they going to equal what you want to do. And then it gets even more interesting because you may look at that list of things and it may be a hundred things and maybe you only have staff to do 20 of them. How do you then alter that plan? Or maybe it's that there's a passion in one particular area. I think where the intuition piece both helps and hurts us is that not having one right way. Instead, you can say, hey, I'm going to do whatever this thing is. Something Jason and I talked about is that you shouldn't just have a single path to success. If your CEO comes and says they're passionate 
passionate about some, let's say they really want to do radio and it's just not what you've done before. It's not that that's wrong. As a marketer, you can say, I'm going to make this the tactic and you can build a great plan around that. You just may need to round it out with other things. You may need to add in other pieces to achieve up to that strategy. And being able to put that together is what you need. It's not that the intuition's wrong. It's how we then organize it, put it together and create a full marketing mix to get us to that success. I mean, I absolutely love that kind of plasticity and flexibility to the plan. Can I also, I'm always a big believer in focus. How do you think about applying focus to the plan itself, the strategy? And when is too many tactics, maybe a tactic overload? Yeah, this is something that I think every marketing department struggles with. People get excited. There's a new technology, a new vendor, a new piece of collateral, something that you want to use. And so you've been implementing something and you're getting tired of that message. And so you want to switch to something new. But it is often that repetition and message, the repetition and tactic that creates that voice makes it something that's lasting with our prospects, with our customers. And so I think we're very often too fast to move on, too fast to add in another strategy or tactic. And the hard part about that is, is the CMO, you don't want to be sitting there telling your team, no, we can't do this new thing. But I often think that less is more and that we do have to set the priorities and then reward the success of a particular tactic, not the volume of tactics. Because just a simple example, you know, I've watched companies do 10 webinars, getting 100 people on each one or one amazing webinar that they spend time building and getting 1,000 people on that one. I think when you look at the net amount of work, way easier to do the second, but we end up just going on volume and doing that, let's do the 10. And so I think we do have to help when we are creating that plan. I think we do have to make sure that we're not adding too much in and you know having confidence in the fewer tactics that we pick. I'm sorry, going off schedule, but I'm just always too intrigued to ask. You said there about kind of the time that it does take sometimes for messages to hit and the repetition required. How do you think about the balance between that time that we know it takes for messages to hit and resonate with an audience versus when something's not working? How do you think about the balance between the two? Yeah, I mean, we have watched things that we would have said would never work still end up being successful. Somebody brought up an example the other day, the term desktop publishing. That at the time, it was so confusing when that was first being used. It didn't make sense to people. They didn't think it would stick. And now we are all familiar with that term. And it was one that had quite a life to it. I think you can make almost anything stick. You and I just come up with something with no thought and put it out to the market. I mean, that's not going to be successful. Or if it is, it's just pure luck. But when you do good market research, when you have done some testing and then you land on a message, I don't think we should be scared to stick on that and move forward. And now if the strategy changes, if we say, hey, that's not a market we want to go into, or the company has some change that makes it that that strategy changes, it's okay to then change that message, change the tactics that go with it. But otherwise, if you have a message that you believe in, it, there's no reason to pivot. No, I, I completely agree there. But in terms of kind of the strategy and the tactics that we employ, a core element of that is kind of rallying support of your team. We had Joe Chernov on the show the other day, and he said that kind of that's where you especially have excelled in terms of kind of building that army of support around you. I'm really interested. What have you found to be most successful in rallying yours and other teams and stakeholders behind you? I should be very fair. And Joe is an amazing marketer. I appreciate his kind words and support there. I think it's a challenge for all of us, right? Marketing is hard. Everybody has an opinion on it. And so you can implement such an exciting thing. It can be tied to that plan that we talked about, but everybody 
has a, they like this color, they like this font, they like this image, they like this previous campaign. What I try to do first is make sure that people understand that the success is in the repetition, not in the tactics. So let's say you and I start a company, we come up with a tagline and half the team loves it, the other half the team does not like it. The reality is it doesn't matter. What matters is the repetition across everybody. It is in that reuse and that recognition that creates the success, not whether you like it or not. And so making sure people understand that I think is very important. I think beyond that, it's really easy to rally a team when the team's feeling successful, right? You know, you can tell I have a strong opinion. I go forward with some big ideas and it's hard to get support of those sometimes. But when they work and when there's lots of success that comes to them, the team then rallies around that, right? So if you create a winning situation, you know, nobody argues the strategy of the coach when they win the Super Bowl, right? And so I think just making sure that you are aligning to success is something that really does help rally. And then finally, and one that we often miss is what I always call, and I need to find a better phrase for this, but what I call marketing your marketing, it's about communication. You have to let people know not just the strategy, but what is the plan to that. You have to make sure that that's not just available one time when you present it, but all the time so people can refer back to it. And then you need to make sure that you're highlighting that. I say anything needs to be that we do needs to be celebrated three times when we plan for it, when we're doing it, and after we complete it. And so it is just in that consistency and highlighting what you're doing and why it's working or why we're continuing to do it that I think allows for that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree. And I love the marketing you're marketing. I think you should coin that one. But I do want to ask, in terms of the strategies themselves, you've been incredibly early on a number from ABM to the conference craze when it was actually called user events when you started. So tell me, and I have to give credit to Joe Chernel for this one. He asks, how have you developed this nose for the future? Let's start with that. I have been lucky to have been a part of or started a number of trends in marketing. I think a lot of that comes from just being very hands-on in the marketing. My CEO has mentioned the word inspection before, and he means it in totally a positive way, right? To be involved, know what's happening, have an idea of everything that's working and not working on the team. And that's not micromanaging. It's not telling everybody what to do, but creating an awareness of what's happening. I think there's lots of ways to do that. I think the first thing we think about is reporting, but I would say that reporting is the aggregate. It doesn't tell the whole story. Choose one campaign, choose one rep, really dig in and see what's happening. Get a real true sense of for an individual, for a specific customer, how they are learning about the company, how they're getting a sense of your brand. And I think that really helps spot trends. I think beyond that, right, we create some of the trends. Part of what I set as a goal for the team is to be award-winning. And that's not out of ego to have some award. It's about this idea of giving back and sharing what's working and not working. It's part of why I'm on this call today. I have found a true gift in even being able to leverage on a plan, right? Like how I now can show off that plan. And I share that with people the same way I shared what the cool things we were doing in marketing operations when I was at Marketo or on the event side when I was working at Aptis as a way to share back with my peers. But when a group of people, Joe, who you've mentioned is one of those that shares frequently, Heidi at Engageo, Matt at Everstring, all of these marketers that I worked with at Marketo or who were in the marketing automation ecosystem at the time, we've all really created this obligation to ourselves to share what's working and what's not. And that's ultimately what's created the trends, I think, because people then take those ideas 
ideas and move them forward. And so I would encourage every marketer to really take it as part of their responsibility to see what's working, share something that seems basic. You know, think about when you go to an event, how many times you're like, oh, I, I want to see some cool trade show ideas or some cool swag ideas or some cool email ideas. And you go to the internet looking for those. The only way you find them is by people sharing. And so please encourage everybody on the call and anybody that you talk to, to share what they're doing, because that's how those trends start. No, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of that kind of openness and collaboration. We mentioned the events there. When we were talking before, you said to me that events are not dead. It's funny you said they're not dead. I'd say they're too alive that it's actually a bubble and maybe even a problem, so to speak. How do you evaluate the current event thinking and landscape in the sea of events that we have? Yeah, I have specifically focused the work that I've done in category creation in places where there is a fundamentally better way to do something. When we think about this on the consumer side, we think about brands like Keurig, who gave us a new way to make coffee, or Uber and Airbnb, who gave us a new way to travel. When you think about that on the B2B side, brands that probably come to mind are Salesforce or Workday or ServiceNow. The type of marketing that you have to do in category creation, not by my opinion, but by craft, right, by textbook, is really around education. And that education needs to come, think about how you heard about Uber. It probably was not from an ad or from their website. It was somebody saying to you, hey, this is something cool I'm using. Don't get in that taxi line. Check this out. And only once that category reached scale, did you then start seeing that broad brand marketing like on TV? I think I am specifically attracted to those challenges, but on the B2B side. And with that, what you need is a lot of education. And events are really great for education. They're an amazing way to get people to put aside their day to focus on learning about something from their peers, from other individuals. And so in my view, there is absolutely a right time for events, especially as it ties to education. There's also wrong times, right? Like there's also like if if we all know how to do something, doing an event on how to do it, maybe 5% better, maybe that's not a great way. And so then you see companies having events that maybe aren't as fruitful or that are focused more on things like vanity, like who's the big speaker name, things like that. No, totally. I, I think you're absolutely right there in, in terms of that. When we chatted there, you said that don't think of specific channels as broadly less or maybe more effective. Can I ask, what do you mean by this, maybe in relation to events? Yeah, I mean, I think you could today say my CEO could walk into the marketing department and say, we're never going to do an event again. And this company or any company could be successful. Tomorrow, you could say, Maria, you could not have a website and the company could still be successful. It's not that any one channel has to be leveraged. It's that you have to put a marketing mix together that leverages some channels to success. And so we get so caught up in a certain way of doing marketing. But really where I see companies move forward, and if you think about some of the brands that may come to mind on the B2B side, the ones that have been successful, they probably don't do everything from a marketing side perfect. They probably don't run perfect events and have a perfect website and have a perfect partner strategy. It's normally that they've chosen a few things to anchor on that they do just really well. I think when I think back to Marketo, I mean, people knew that purple and knew that brand. And it's because it's something we didn't change. We've consistently reinforced and leveraged that the conference we did there, it's something that we made a major investment in. It used up a big chunk of the budget. We didn't peanut butter it and spread it across and kind of do it halfway. I look at other brands that use virtual events and spend months getting a virtual event together to great 
create success, but what they give up to have that is maybe doing an event or some other tactic. It's not the individual tactic that matters. It's really just doing it to great execution. Yeah, I mean, remaining on event before we discuss the, the financial kind of commitment towards it, how do you and your team really look to get the most out of events? I am passionate about events and just jumping ahead to the second part of your question a little bit, but to me, they bring together that education with often very great lead generation with a brand presence. The key to it is differentiation. And so when we go to a show, the goal of the team is not just a lead number or just scans or whatever the companies may look at. It is one to differentiate across all of the other brands. So if there are 20 sponsors in a room, if somebody was to walk out and say, tell me two or three sponsors you saw that we were consistently named at every one of them, right? That's getting, making sure we're leveraging that brand presence as a part of it. If you're one of the other 20 some that they don't remember, then maybe that wasn't a great sponsorship for you if you are counting that brand presence. I think beyond that, I don't think the success of event comes after the event. If your strategy is to go to events, stand there, wait for people to walk up to you, sitting at a chair behind a booth and then follow up with some emails from the event, you probably shouldn't spend your money that way. Instead, we spend a lot of time trying to understand who's going to attend, setting meetings with the people that we want to see there, making sure that we're engaging our customers as a first and foremost at Anaplan. Our customers come first, so making sure that we let them know we're going to be there. We find interaction points with them that we're making our office or our space available to them. All of those things are what is needed for the success of the event, and it takes a big effort to do that. And I appreciate all the brands that don't take that approach because it allows us to differentiate even more. <laughs> for sure. No, I completely agree on that differentiation and the benefits of it. We mentioned the kind of financial commitments towards events as a channel. Joe Chernov, uh, again referring to him, stated on the show that to do events, you have to have an appetite for losing money. Always blunt from Joe. But how should one think about resource allocation towards events? And are there any nuances? Do you know what you owe? I appreciate from Joe there in like that idea of if you're doing events, you're losing money. My guess is Joe would not proclaim himself as a great event marketer. Probably not where his passion lies. He is really quite a master at leveraging marketing technology. And I know he's put a lot of effort into account-based marketing. What I love about that is what you're probably not going to see is him go do a major event and throw all of his marketing into that. He's owning what he knows and he's putting those tactics forth. And I would suggest to every marketer, really think about what the personality of your company is, what the strength of your team is, and leverage those tactics. And if events aren't one of them, it is just okay. Your CEO or your board is probably going to be happier if you're focusing on the tactics that are the right ones for your organization. And we all sell different things to different audiences at different times. And so it makes sense that not every tactic is the right one for all of us. And that's just okay. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I love that kind of playing to your strengths, so to speak. I do want to finish. And before we move into the quick fire round, discuss the marketing playbook, kind of often a hailed term in this world. So starting super broadly, what does the term marketing playbook really mean to you, Maria? I mean, you can take marketing playbook as two ways. If you're coming into an organization with a playbook of what's worked for you in the past, I don't know that it's an overly positive term. I think our CEOs, our boards, our employees have a vision for the company that may not align to your past playbook. And so you want to be careful about counting on what's worked before to create the success of your future. You just heard us talk about trends, and I think that even adds to the complexity. And so I don't think we all come with one playbook. I do think we want to play to our strengths, but there's a balance there. I think if we're talking about a 
playbook, though, around how we execute. How do we have a great event? How we put together a plan? What our planning looks like? How we make decisions? I think then a playbook can be super powerful and ultimately be what differentiates our organization. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more in terms of what differentiates the organization. In terms of SAS to Paris, kind of reverting back to the events and integrating it with this, you said on stage that marketers can let their own playbook get in the way. I was so intrigued by this. So what's the thinking here and where do you often see marketers making mistakes regarding the playbook getting in the way? Yeah, that's that first part that I was talking about. If you walk into, this is, uh, and Jason Lemkin and I have talked about this in the past. If I walk in and I say to my CEO, here's the 10 things I do and I promise their work and he says, I really want these other two. And let's say you disagree. What you're going to end up doing is spending all your time trying to run out those 10 things and proving to that CEO why your playbook is the right playbook when really that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for you to make his vision a reality and maybe take those other two things and make them a success. This happens specifically to me. I had a chief revenue officer uh, that I just appreciated so much, had great vision, but he came with an idea that I just, I, it wasn't in my playbook. It wasn't what I wanted to do. To get really specific, he wanted to put together a certification program that was available to everybody and it was going to be complex. It was going to be technically difficult to do the way he was looking for. And I went home and I really thought about it over a weekend. And I decided that, you know what, I'm going to put my playbook aside. I'm not going to let it get in the way. And we are going to execute it as if it is my own idea. And we executed it as a team. I stood behind it. He stood behind it. And we made it something that was a key part of the success of the company, something that grew beyond marketing, almost became the foundation of our university and certification programs broadly for the organization. And he was a champion for it and for marketing the next five years that we were there together. And so it was really losing that ego and putting that my playbook aside and really hearing somebody else's idea that ultimately created not only my personal success, but I think alignment between the teams as well as the success of a program. And so I would uh, caution people anytime you're sitting there trying to prove your CEO wrong or saying like, let's get the data, maybe not a great approach. You mentioned that the conversation with your CRO. I'm really interested and this really is the final question. I could talk to you all day about this, but final question for the quick fire round. What's the optimal relationship between the chief revenue officer and the CMO, chief marketing officer? Yeah, I think that it should be a great relationship that has some built-in tension so that each are challenging each other. Ultimately, the relationship between the CMO and the CRO should be the best in the organization because it's the two groups that have the exact same goal. It's so specific in that like you're both trying to maximize revenue. Marketing is, when you look at a B2C organization, there's likely not a direct sales group. It's just either through e-commerce or retail. It's really marketing that is setting that strategy and rolling out uh, those pieces. In B2B, you get this new thing, which is direct sales, which then is responsible for that one-to-one selling. But the reason you don't just do it all in direct sales and not have marketing is marketing creates a great efficiency in the front. It creates brand affinity. It creates longer term customers. And so the two need each other. It's not that one is better than the other. It's that both need to be there. And marketing creates an efficiency for sales that is critical for us to be profitable. Recognizing that and that great symbiotic nature of the two, the tension comes in and where is that efficiency stop? When do you stop having marketing and when do you have more direct sales? And that's something each organization has to work on together. It's something that should be an active dialogue. But I always say if like all we're trying to do is get to the Starbucks down 
down the street, right? If that's that shared goal, who cares like really about exactly how you get there? If, oh, and why not just walk there together? And ultimately that's what sales is marketing is doing. If you were to say things like challenges with marketing and finance or marketing and IT, to me, those are groups that maybe have some different goals and it should be maybe a little harder. But the idea of sales and marketing alignment being an issue is just almost absurd to me. I mean, my word, I feel like that really is a book or a blog post really in the making there. There's so much to discuss, but I do want to move into my favorite element of any interview being the quick fire round, Maria. So I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts in about 60 seconds per one. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Tell me a moment in your life that's maybe served as an inflection point and changed the way you think. I think there was an amazing time at Marketo where I just had a rare opportunity to work with some incredible marketers that many people have probably heard of, John Miller, Matt Amundsen, Heidi Bullock. It was a great group of people and we challenged each other. We argued, we won together. Everything was so amazing and it it really has created a great path for me today. Who is killing it in SaaS marketing today and why do you think so? Off the top of my head, I just mentioned John Miller, who is the CEO of Engageo. I think they're just doing a tremendous job in creating an opportunity and serving a need of marketers that is critical. Advice in SaaS you most commonly hear given that you disagree with? I'd have to say probably just about having to perfectly like report on anything. I would argue that that plan and forecasting and all of those pieces that we don't talk about in marketing is probably, I mean, shoot, I just chose a company. I could have picked any company in the Valley and I chose Anaplan to help me get better at this because I thought this was the most important part. And I think it's something that we barely talk about. And instead we report on everything that's happened after the fact. And I would argue that's maybe it's who cares about the history. Let's think about what's going forward. Penultimate question. What makes that truly special CMO? I treat my craft the way I imagine a surgeon treats his discipline. I'm constantly learning. I take that education very seriously. My personal time is often spent with others pushing the industry. And I think that truly special CMO, we're never perfect leaders. We're never perfect marketers. But I think really trying to understand what it makes success in your discipline is something that is special and something that you can then give back to the organization and team. And then final one, and probably my favorite of all, what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning, and this can be at the beginning of your time in marketing, at the beginning of your time with Marketo, at the beginning of dot, dot, dot? Yeah, the thing I wish I knew in the beginning, you know what, I would have to say that I didn't maybe see the potential for myself that was in me. I limited myself and I owe a lot of great people, a lot of the credit for allowing me to have done as much as I had. I wish that I had seen more of that in myself and set goals bigger because I think I would have been able to impact B2B marketing SaaS in a bigger way sooner if I had. I appreciate deeply all of the people. I mean, you mentioned Joe, I've mentioned a few, John and Matt, just that have had huge impacts. And I wish that I had seen more of that in myself, but I appreciate those that have helped me so much. Maria, as I said, I heard from so many people what a truly inspirational CMO you are. I knew it was going to be a special episode, but it's absolutely blown me away. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I really have so enjoyed it. This has been fun. And I just love hearing some of Joe's thoughts. And you've talked to so many great people in the industry. Thank you so much.
What an incredible guest Maria was to have on the show. And if you'd like to see more from her, you can find her on Twitter at Inbound Marketer. Likewise, we'd love to see you behind the scenes here at Sasta. You can find us on Instagram at hdubbings1996 with two Bs. It really would be great to see you there. But before we leave you today, fundamentally, as a founder or operator, your most important job is people operations. It could be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent, and building a high-performing culture. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies. And it helps the likes of Asana, Reddit, and Cruise to build a strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, even set up goal tracking and run employee engagement surveys. And that's important because Lattice is the only solution that combines both performance management and employee engagement. So operators can really make sure top performers are happy. And Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to SASTA listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash SASTA. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E.com forward slash Sasta, build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. And if Lattice is there to optimize the team, my word, Mixmax is there to optimize how you work. Mixmax is the startup that really enables you to be a sales pro with powerful analytics, automation, and enhancements for your outbound communications. So that's the formal description. But why do I love it? Well, you know exactly who opened your email and when. You can schedule meetings in one email with a simple calendar integration. There's a really awesome feature for me. And finally, Forget copy and paste. Mixmax's email templates means you can create the perfect email with one click. So check out why I'm such a power user and head to Mixmax.com for more. I have to say it really is insanely good. Finally, if Mixmax helps you really optimize email communications, Infusionsoft is there to help you create order with your customers and business. Infusionsoft allows you to put all your customer info in one place. And so it's easier to see the latest status on tasks, sales opportunities, and even email results. Plus, you can even set up a workflow that automatically sends customizable emails to help move a potential customer forward. That, and for many more reasons, is why over 30,000 small businesses love and trust Infusionsoft. And you can sign up today for a 14-day free trial. And check this out, you don't even need a credit card. And that's on Infusionsoft.com. That really is a must. As always, I so appreciate all your support, and I cannot wait to bring you a very special episode next week.